Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and we are getting back into um, our series. We've been going through this, and If you've been with us at all in our study, uh, then you'll remember a number of the things that we've gone through. Of course, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is the second letter that Paul writes to the people of Corinth. If you know anything about it, I almost got tripped. If you know anything about uh, the, the situation, of course, Paul, he was once a great persecutor of Jesus and of the early church, but then uh, Paul received Christ into his life. And because of that, uh, man, God changed his life completely. And Paul would travel around preaching uh, Jesus and starting churches. And God would use Paul to start dozens and dozens of churches and use Paul to see literally hundreds of thousands of people come to know Christ as Savior. And one of the towns that Paul, or one of the cities, if you will, that Paul started a church in was the city of Corinth. Man, this thriving metropolis, metropolis area, metropolitan area there on the... Um uh, right off of the uh, Aegean Sea and uh, just that one area, if you remember, it had the Isthmus on it, that area that separated the east from the west and uh, Corinth was a major trade route. Corinth was a place that people wanted to move to, but Corinth was also a place just of filth and of uh, the word debauchery, uh, really because of all of the false worship of all the false gods. Corinth became the place that uh, really that, that put down that we've been kind of coming back to. If you wanted to insult somebody in that day, you would say, man, you're just like a Corinthian. Man, you're just like a Corinthian. And what was that saying? It was just saying, you're, you're just a, a debauched person. Man, your life is filled with wickedness. And that was the, that was the cultural norm uh, for, for Corinth. And everybody around Corinth knew that if you just wanted to insult somebody, man, call them a Corinthian. Uh, and everybody there in that day just looked at Corinth. And even though people wanted to move there, and even though it was known for being a trade place, even though it had some good things going for it, It was really just known to be a a wicked city. Well, Paul comes in, Acts chapter number uh, 17 and 18. God would use Paul to start a church. And the Bible says there that many people trust Christ as Savior because of the influence and the impact that Paul had upon the lives of people. But then Paul would leave. And he'd be gone for a few years and he would receive word again that the people at Corinth, the Christians at Corinth, they were beginning to allow the culture to impact the church more than the church impacting the culture. And we had this statement that the church at Corinth was beginning to act more like the culture around them than the Christ who was within them. You see, once a person trusts Jesus as Savior, God moves into their life. And God, uh, 1 Corinthians says, or 2 Corinthians, old things are passed away, all things are made new. Man, God gives you new desires and God begins to work in your life. And God, once you and I, once we trust him as Savior, God desires that we would build a relationship with him and that we would grow closer to him and learn more about the word and learn more about uh, biblical principles and things of that nature. But the devil also knows that. And so the devil will do anything to try to distract you and I from growing in the Lord. And that distraction was taking place in the believers of Corinth. They were being distracted away and culture had a major impact on the believers there 
at the church, so much so that they were just kind of excusing sin. The, the, the culture impacted the church so much that uh, they were beginning to just sign, kind of say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it's okay. It's just one little thing. And that's kind of where it starts in our life when we begin to excuse sin in our life. Well, it's just one little lie. Well, it's just one little thing. And what God did is God used Paul to write back to the believers at Corinth and say, hey, 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 God has better things in store for you. Man, quit allowing culture to impact you. God has more for you. The first seven chapters, or excuse me, the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is really dealing with a lot of those issues. He's dealing with a lot of those areas that they were excusing. He's trying to help and encourage them, say, hey, God has more for you. But then from 1 Corinthians chapter seven all the way through the end of the book, uh, Paul begins to answer questions. 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul answers questions about marriage, about widowhood, and about singleness. And Paul answers questions about kind of your relationship status. You know, what should I, where, where should, what should my relationship status be? And uh, if you are on Facebook, you know, you see people's relationship status changing all the time, you know, and, and it's like they're, they're dating. Now they're engaged. Now they're brokenhearted. Now they're, you know, and it's just, what's your relationship status? And Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter number seven. And basically it's this, wherever you're at in life, whatever stage you're at in life, love God right where you are. Quit trying to be something you're not. Instead, love God right where you are. If you're a married couple, you should love God greater because you're married. If you're a single person, you should love God greater because you're single. If you're a widow, you should love God greater because you're in that, in that stage of life as a widow. And man, I can imagine some of those people reading that and going, man, this is, this is tough stuff, Paul. But here's what Paul is trying to get at them. Hey, whatever stage of life you're in, just be all in for God in that phase of life. Quit looking for greener grass. Quit trying to change your status and instead change your heart. God, help my heart to love you with whatever stage of life I'm in. What a great help that is to us. Because if we're not careful, we can allow what other people have, whether that be in relationships or what they have in belongings or what they have uh, maybe in their job status, we can allow what people have to influence our joy. And that's where God is writing through Paul saying, hey, everything else that ever, quit looking for greener grass. Just love God where you're at and serve him right where you're at and watch what God can do. Then you come to chapter eight. Now, chapter eight, nine, and 10, they're all the same answer. Paul's answering one question. What was the question? The question was about meat that was offered to idols. If you were here, you remember uh, a few weeks ago, we had a couple of guys, and actually it's probably been a few months ago now, we had a couple of guys up here, and, and one of them, uh, well, we're going to do it anyway. Dennis, come here, and Noah, come here, just because I have to do this real fast. Hurry, quickly. And uh, it wasn't Dennis and Noah, it was Noah and Leo, but Leo's way in the back. Noah, stand over there. Dennis, come right here. Hurry, man, hurry. Noah, okay, you guys switch, switch. <clears throat> okay. 
<coughs> so if you were here, you'll remember this, that you had one fellow there in Corinth. Remember, uh, he trusted Christ, but he grew up, he grew up totally in- engulfed in the false religions of, of Rome at the time. So he was one that, man, he would go and he would worship at the temples and he knew everything, all the ins and outs about the falsehoods, about the, about the gods they worship. Man, this guy, he knew everything, but... He trusted Christ as Savior. So now he knows there is really only one God. But remember, his past is heavily influenced by the false worship. This other fella, he grew up. He knew about all the false worship. He even went to a temple every now and then. But for his family, just, it just wasn't a big deal. It just wasn't, it wasn't a thing, you know? But then he hears about Jesus Christ and he goes, you know, That sounds like it's real. And so he puts his faith and his trust in Christ. Both guys grew up in Corinth. Both guys, they they went to the same elementary school. They went to the same high school. But they, they just had different backgrounds. Well, here's what happened after they trusted Christ. Chapter eight, this is where we are. You say, Pastor, we're gonna be here till 1250 if we go through all of it. It's okay. Um, This guy, he can go to the market and buy meat from any store, right? You go to the marketplace, you buy meat. He can go and he can buy meat from any store. But this fella, he knows that that store right there, they actually get their meat from the priests of the false gods. And so this fella, he looks and he says, I can't, I can't eat meat from there. Why? Because that meat has been offered to idols. And this guy goes, what do you mean you can't get meat from there? The, the idol is nothing. Don't you know, man, you are so ignorant. Don't you just know, listen, you need to just choose, just choose to eat the meat no matter what, all right? You're coming over to my house. Don't ask, just, just eat the meat no matter what, and I don't care if it offends you. And that's this guy's kind of spirit. It's kind of, his spirit is kind of this, this idea of, listen, I'm in it for me, whatever's best for me right now, and that meat is nothing. I don't really care about you. I don't care if I offend you. And this guy's going, no, we can't eat meat. I don't, and, he, and they're, now they're gonna get in an argument over this. And it's almost to the point, and you go, go read the passage and we'll put all this together today. It's almost to the point that there's inward fighting over meat being offered to idols. One crowd, their, their mindset is, you guys should know better. Don't you know that that meat is nothing? We know better. We have arrived we are really spiritual over here, right? We're really spiritual. But you, you're not so spiritual. But this guy is saying, no, no, no. I am really spiritual because I don't eat the meat. So what does Paul do? Paul writes to him and he says, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. You're both acting in a way that only benefits you. You see, because it's not about what is right and what is wrong. It's about what is best and what is God's plan. And so what Paul does from chapter eight, thanks guys, you can sit down. You give yourself a hand? Yeah, good job, Noah. And so what Paul is doing from uh, from chapter number eight 
all the way down through chapter number 10 is trying to help them and really trying to help us how to make the best decisions in life when it comes to relationships with people and really everything we do. The main argument that Paul has through these chapters is that we shouldn't make decisions upon what is right and wrong. I mean, that's base level Christianity. Of course, we shouldn't do what is wrong. No, the better decision should be what is best. And so through these chapters, Paul is trying to help them to know how to make the best decisions in their life. And most recently, he's tried to show them that we should not make decisions based upon an attitude of pride, an attitude that says, I've got this. Here's the verse he used. We saw it three weeks ago, October 3rd. And now this verse is so dear to my heart because of dad passing away that day and Bob passing away that day. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But here's the verse that Paul used. He said, there hath no temptation taken you. There is no, no trial that's come into your life, but such as is common to man. What's that mean? Everybody faces trials. Everybody has hardships. Why don't you say that with me? Everybody has hardships. Ready, go. Everybody has hardships. And everyone has hardships. That's what that first part means. There is no temptation. There is no trial taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. What was Paul getting at in these verses? If you go, we, I wish we had time just to preach every passage, every week, so we could all be on the exact same page of where we're at. But in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, Paul says to them, hey, Israel, God's people, they had this arrogance about them that was like, well, we're God's people, so pfft. I mean, what, what harm could come our way? I mean, what, we're, we're God's people. Of course God loves us. We're God's people. Of course God favor, favors us. And the illustration Paul gives is, hey, even Israel, being God's people, they got arrogant in their relationship and they chose to walk away from God. And you know what God said? Okay. Because God's never gonna make you choose his will. It's always a choice. And so with the people of Israel, they got arrogant in this. And so Paul's writing to the believers at Corinth and saying, hey, Everybody has trials, and one of the trials, one of the temptations that's going to come your way is to have the spirit of, I've got this. But you need to know, you don't got this. No, God is faithful. No, the, the key in this whole verse is God is faithful. That day after I preached this message, October 3rd, I drove home. We were sitting eating lunch, and I said to Hannah, I'm just going to eat real quick and then go, go up to dad's. And literally, right when we sat down to eat, my sister called, and she said, Dennis, I think it's happening. I think dad's passing away. Get over here as fast as you can. And I jumped up, and I went, and uh, man, I jumped in my truck, and I got on the road, and I got to Wheeler in 17, and she called, and she said, Dennis, he's gone. And, I, I'm, and I, I'm fine with the fact that I wasn't there. It's, it, it's okay with that. But I, right when that happened, I'll, I'm gonna tell you, and it's not some supernatural weird thing. There wasn't an audible voice. But right when, right when she called and I hung up the phone and it kind of sunk in, like he's gone. He's, we, we knew this was coming, but he's really gone. And as I begin to think about that, you know the three words that came to my mind? God is faithful. 
Dennis, there is no trial coming your way, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And that he's not gonna allow you to go through something that he can't bear. You see, we, we try to put the emphasis in this verse on the thought that I can bear it all. And if God sent it my way, then God must think I'm really strong. No, God gives you more than you bear. So you turn to him and say, God, I can't, but you can. The key of this verse is God is faithful. And that's the key that Paul was trying to get through to the believers at Corinth. Hey, get over yourself and realize that God is faithful. But all of it, all of these little uh, um, seemingly separate topics, they all go together with this big picture of all of this is gonna help you in making decisions in life. It's gonna help you with relationships with people. And this is precisely what Paul comes to in our passage today. It's not, uh, it's not a secret that I like coffee. My wife, um, it's her fault. <laughs> I didn't drink coffee until I was 22 years old. We were, maybe I was 21. We had just gotten married and we were at Bible college. And I remember I was trying to, um, we were studying for something and she was like, you know what always, and she's always liked coffee. She's like, you know what helps me is coffee. I was like, oh, I don't like coffee. Like dad drank it, grandpa drank it. I don't want coffee. And one day she was like, well, let me make you a coffee. I said, okay. And I'm so thankful I did <laughs> because I've been an addict ever since then. Uh, some people have like drugs. I have coffee. Um, but you know what? She made, she made that coffee. And ever since then, I, I love it. We, we have a commonality with it. We, when we go on trips, we try to find good coffee and good cinnamon rolls. That's what we try to find. And that's our time to eat unhealthy is when we take trips. That's why I like to travel a lot because I can eat on, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm teasing. But you know what it is with coffee? You wanna ruin, you wanna ruin a good cup of coffee? Use a broken filter. Because I like drinking my coffee, not chewing it. How many coffee drinkers, you know what I'm talking about? You got, you've got to the, you know, about halfway through your cup of coffee and you, you take a sip and you're, oh, oh, yeah. And, and like all the moisture from your mouth is sucked into those grounds and the taste is there. My father-in-law, he likes to just chew coffee beans instead of drinking coffee. I'm like, that is a sick thing, man. It's made to be ground and then boiled and then put in a filter and then filtered through and that's where you get good coffee. You know what the filter does? The filter takes out everything you don't want. Like the bottled water craze that hit the, hit the U.S. I think, you know, I know uh, filtered water has been around for, for centuries, really, but the bottled water craze back in like the 70s and 80s and 90s, there was this bottled water. What, what people want? They wanted filtered water. Why? I don't want all that nasty stuff in my water. You know what a filter does? A filter protects, a filter protects from things you don't want. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a filter for all of our decisions so we could filter out bad decisions that we don't want? Wouldn't that be nice? Here's the awesome thing, we have it. And in the word of God today, I wanna talk with you about a filter for your decisions. 
a filter for your decisions, a filter that you could, uh, maybe I'll say it this way, some guiding principles that you could filter all of your ideas and decisions through so that you know not what is right and what is wrong. No, so that you will know what is better and what is best. First Corinthians chapter 10, stand with me if you would. We're just gonna read three verses to start. And you've listened well. I will say the introduction is the longest portion of the message today. All right, so that was it. Now we're getting into it. Now we only have about an hour left. (laughs) You laugh, I'm just kidding. Uh, It says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 31. Listen to what Paul says. He says, whether therefore, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. What are some guiding principles? What are some guiding principles that you and I could Use to filter all of our decisions through to help us make the best decisions in every situation. This morning, I'm gonna give you three guiding principles from this passage, three guiding principles that that you and I could literally put every decision through to help us make the best choice. I'd like to have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let's pray one more time and ask God to speak to us. Would you ask the Lord, just in the quietness of your own heart, God, would you help me? God, would you speak to me? God, would you show me what you want me to hear this morning? Dear Lord, we come before you. I pray right now that you would help us as we get into the word of God. I pray that you'd help me in these next few moments together. Give me clear thinking. Help us to understand precisely what you want for each one of us. And God, help us to see today that you've given us some guiding principles to filter our decisions through so that we can choose what is best. I love you, Lord. I'm thankful for your word. Thankful for the opportunity to bring it before your people. And so I pray that you'd help me. Help us to have ears to hear and a heart to decide. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. The verses that we started with, we're actually going to end with, but I wanna give you just real quick these principles, these principles to filter our decisions through. First of all, this morning, I want us to notice that we should make decisions that identify you with Christ. Make decisions that best identify you with Jesus. Go back, if you would, to verse number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 16. Notice these verses, if you will. It says this. It says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we, all, we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things 
excuse me. But I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the tables of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In this passage, again, remember, and uh, um, it's on the screen. Look at verse number 14. Is it verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10? Yeah, verse number 14, where Paul says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Do you see that there? Here's the problem. Okay, stay with me, all right? Even if you're not with me, just shake your head yes, or else this is gonna take a while. When we, when, uh, you remember those two fellows up here? We've gotta, we've gotta connect everything about all of the meat and things being offered to idols and the arguing and, and even all the way back to chapter number seven and them just excusing sin and all the way back to chapters one through six and all the little infighting and the schisms and the little, well, I'm, I'm with Paul and I'm with Apollos, all the things that they had going on. Here's what Paul boils all of it down to. You are involved in idolatry. Well, they would say, well, no, Paul, we're not bowing down to some God. Paul would say, no, no, no. Idolatry is when anyone or anything takes God's rightful place in your life. Did you know that America, American Christianity is filled with idolatry? Well, what is idolatry? When anyone or anything takes God's rightful place in your life. If your work becomes a bigger priority than God, idolatry. If your hobbies become a bigger priority than God, idolatry. If your family becomes a bigger uh, priority than God, idolatry. If you using your time for you becomes a bigger thing, uh, bigger, uh, of more importance in your life than your time for God, idolatry. This is what Paul boils it all down to, okay? Now, the verses that we just read Paul brings in some illustrations. The first is an illustration of what we call the Lord's table or uh, some would call it communion. We're gonna learn a lot about it in the coming weeks. Uh, Next week we'll be in chapter number 11. We're gonna talk about the Lord's table and really what it means. But Paul brings in this illustration of the Lord's table and he says to them, the believers at Corinth, the Lord's table is not about food, it's about focus. The Lord's table, it's not about partaking of the food. No, 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 no. It's about the oneness. It's about focus. It's about the fellowship with Christ. What is the Lord's table? Well, the Lord's table, like baptism, is one of two ordinances for the church. We'll learn more about it next week. It's not part of your salvation. Okay, there's churches that teach that you have to partake of the Lord's table to have salvation. That's not true. That's not in the Bible. You say, pastor, I'm intrigued by this. Great. That's my commercial. Come back next week. <laughs> it's an ordinance. It, it's, a, it's, an outward, it's an outward demonstration of an inward decision. Baptism is an ordinance for the church, an outward demonstration of an inward decision. Wedding ring is a very similar illustration. I use this when we baptize. If I take that ring off, am I still married? Yes, but the ring just shows it to people. Baptism shows it, and the Lord's table 
it shows that I'm thinking about God. It shows that I want fellowship with God. So here's what Paul is getting at in those few verses about the Lord's table. It's not about focus, or it's not about uh, the food. It's about the focus and about fellowship. Then he takes it over to the Gentiles. And he says, even the Gentiles, when they offer a sacrifice, when the Gentile, well, wait, before that is Israel and the sacrifice. Oh man, see, I'm messing this whole thing up. The Lord's table, it's not about food, it's about focus and fellowship. When Israel sacrificed, didn't the people take part of the sacrifice home and partake of that part of the sacrifice so that they were identifying with the sacrifice given to God? Yes. Okay, now, third illustration. The Gentiles, even they, when they sacrifice, they'll take part of the meat. They understand, I am identifying with. And then Paul asked a question. Can you be a partaker of the table of devils and a partaker of the table of the Lord? Here's the whole, here's the whole mindset in those first few verses of chapter uh, from 16 down through verse number 22 is you should make decisions that identify you with Christ. You can't say, well, I'm gonna partake of the Lord's table and I'm gonna partake of the of devil's table. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Paul is doing a, an illustrative thing. He's trying to do it by association. Just as the Lord's table is not about the food, it's about the focus and the fellowship, just like an Israelite who's giving sacrifices will partake of part of that sacrifice to identify with God in that, just like the Gentiles, they do it too. They partake of their meat because they're identifying with... Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, in your decisions, in your decisions, make choices that identify you best with Christ. Man, make choices that show people I belong to the Lord. You see, you and I, we need to make decisions that best identify us with Christ and Paul was writing to them saying, well, you know that the meat, again, all of this flows with those meat offered to idols. You know that the meat offered to idols is nothing. You need to make decisions that would quickly, quickly identify you with Jesus rather than decisions that you say, well, that's just right and wrong. And this is a great filter for us today. While we can't make maybe necessarily a direct application about eating meat offered to idols, we can learn a lesson of making decisions which identify us best with Jesus. This lesson can affect what we watch. It can affect what we listen to. It can affect what we speak about and what we joke about. It affects how we prioritize our time and our our family decisions and our financial choices. What is going to identify me with Christ? What is gonna show my fellowship with Jesus? Does that make sense this morning? But a lot of Christians, we don't, we don't make decisions through that filter. We make decisions based upon, well, it's right, it's wrong. Either way, I'm, you know, this is, this is, it's between right and wrong, and it's all about me. And we make a decision of what's better for me. And here's what Paul is saying. Hey, make decisions based upon what identifies me with Jesus. You know, this week when you go to work and school and your neighbors Make decisions on how you approach your relationships with what's going to identify me with Christ. What's going to show people that I'm different? If I joke like they do, that's not going to identify me with Christ. If I use my time the same way they use their time, it's not going to identify me with Christ. So what's Paul saying? Hey, make decisions that identify you with Jesus. First filter. 
Make decisions that identify us with Christ. Second filter, make decisions that profit and edify others. Make decisions that profit and edify others. Notice verse 23 and 24. Paul said this, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. That phrase, all things are lawful for me, he has already used that phrase so it would kind of connect with them that there is nothing wrong with eating meat offered to idols. Paul already wrote about that at the beginning of, of chapter number eight. Hey, we know that the idol is nothing and the meat is nothing. Like we know there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But this is not a right or wrong issue. No, this is a expedient issue or an edifying issue. And what does that mean? The word expedient means better, helpful, profitable. The word edify, it means to encourage or to build up. So here's what Paul is saying. When you make decisions, verse 23 and 24, don't make decisions based upon, well, it's right, it's not right, it's not wrong. Don't make decisions based upon that. Make decisions based upon, is this expedient and will it edify? Well, what does that mean? Will this decision help others and encourage others? That's what Paul's getting at. Make decisions not based upon what's right and what's wrong and maybe what's better for you in the moment. No, 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 no. Make decisions based upon, is this expedient? Is this helpful? Is this profitable? Will this edify? Will this encourage? Will this build up this person next to me? Will this encourage or help my coworker who just came to Christ? Will this, will this profit and will it edify those around me? You see, we don't wanna make decisions based solely upon the good and the bad. We wanna make decisions based upon, will this help people around me? Will this encourage others? Make decisions through the filter of, will this help and encourage other people? You know what? There are things in my life and in your life that they're fine to do. They're acceptable to do. Before I do it, I should ask the question, is this helpful? Is this profitable? Is this going to help my testimony or hurt my testimony? Is this something that will encourage other people or discourage other people? Is this decision just about me or is this going to build other people up? You see, what this does is it goes beyond the right or wrong question and it goes to what is better and what is best, not only for me, but for those around me. How will this decision affect my family? How will this decision build my spouse? How will this decision help my kids or my grandkids or my friends or my neighbors? And one of the things that should drive us in the decisions that we make should be the mindset of, is this a decision that is going to profit and edify? Is it going to help people around me? You see, all too often, our heart is not what is better for others. Our heart is what is better for me. Paul wrote about this even at the end of the chapter. We read these verses just a minute ago when he said, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Hey, try not to offend anybody. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. You know, Paul is saying, hey, don't go through life unnecessarily offending others. Instead, seek the benefit of people. But don't you notice the very last motivation that Paul gives in this as he closes out the topic, and we'll see this in just a second. He says, 
go through life with a heart that they may be saved. Well, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, you need to make a decision, make decisions based upon, will this enhance the gospel? Will this decision make Jesus look good? Will the result of this decision help point people to a need for Jesus? Will this help someone get saved? And what a convicting thought. Do my decisions point people to their need for Jesus? Or does it drive a wedge between them recognizing their need for Christ? Does my conversations with my coworkers help them see their need for Christ? Does my conduct, listen, does my conduct in my neighborhood, does it help my neighbors recognize their need for Jesus? Or do they hear me and my spouse arguing just like everybody else does? Do they hear me yelling at the kids from from the front porch? I mean, you can tell when a mom and dad are mad or when they're just trying to get kids' attention. You know what? In the Christian home, and I'm I'm just going to hit on this for a second, in the Christian home and the Christian family, there ought to be a different way that you approach parenting than your neighbors approach it. There ought to be a different way that you approach your mindset with your neighbors than your neighbors approach. I remember for years, (coughs) I had a friend of mine that his neighbor's dog would always come over and use his lawn for the restroom all the time. He's like, pastor, like, I don't, what do I do about this? Like, his dog's always going in my lawn. I'm going to shoot it. Next time, I'm going to tell him, next time you put your dog in my lawn, I'm shooting it. And I said, can I throw something out real, real, real quick? Yeah, what? I don't think that's going to help him trust Jesus. Oh, well, Pastor Walt, I'll talk to him after that. No, 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 it's probably gonna close, probably gonna close some doors. You know what my response should be? My response should be a spirit of grace. And my response in my decisions with my neighbors should show them, hey, I just wanna point you to Jesus. Pastor, does that mean you let their dog use the restroom on your lawn and you pick it up? Yeah. Pastor, it's not my, that's not my, that's not my dog. Right. But uh, it's probably better than shooting it. (laughs) Does that make sense this morning? Sometimes though we make decisions not based upon what is best for others, what will profit and encourage, what could help them come to Christ. We make decisions on, well, that doesn't profit me. So, and here's what Paul is saying. Hey, make decisions, make decisions that will profit and edify people and especially help those that don't know Christ make decisions that will help them come to know Christ. Hey, in the workplace, the Christian should have the best testimony. About to step on some toes and I'm sorry. The Christian shouldn't be the one that calls in sick when they're not sick. Now, can you call in and take a personal day? Yeah. Take a personal day. But don't call in, oh, well, I'm, <coughs> I'm sick today. <coughs> no, because then that coworker is gonna see you on Facebook that you were at the lake that day at 4 p.m. But they called in sick today. Now, what I'm getting at is this. The Christian, a follower of God, should make decisions based upon what is gonna profit and encourage others and what's gonna draw them to Jesus. 
This morning, we make decisions that identify us with Christ, that profit and edify others. And lastly today, we make decisions that glorify God. Notice how Paul continues. Not in verse 31 yet. Don't go there yet. Go to verse 25 through 27. Paul says, whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. <clears throat> the, uh, the word shambles, marketplace or outdoor marketplace. Here's what Paul is getting at in these. Hey, if the meat is sold in the marketplace and it's bought there, it's disassociated with the, the temple and the pagan worship. Don't worry about it where it came from. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Hey, it, it belongs to the Lord. The Lord made it. And so you can, you can eat it. Don't worry about it. But then notice the next verse. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice to idols, eat not for his sake that showed it and for the conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul says, if somebody tells you this meat was offered to idols, don't eat it. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Uh, hey, Paul, you just used that. You, you can't use the same reasoning for it, Paul. What, what, what are you doing? Paul, you just said, if you go to meat and, and you don't know what the meat's been offered to, don't ask. Just eat it because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But if you find out that it was offered to idols, don't eat it because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Anybody else missing this? But notice a key thought there. Eat not for his sake that showed it. Hey, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it all belongs to God. At the end of the day, he owns the earth. He owns the meat. At the end of the day, it's all his. But if someone tells you, hey, this was offered to idols, they might know what you believe. And you know what you should probably do? Don't eat. Why? I don't want to offend them. <clears throat> okay, Paul, well, what does this mean? Notice he continues. Verse number 29. Conscience, I say then, or I say not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Here's what Paul is saying. Well, that's not fair. That, that's not fair. I mean, if I know that it's nothing and I give thanks for it, why am I being judged? Why should someone else control my choices? And here's what I wanna say this morning. With all of this comes this question. Well, if I live this way, if I make my decisions based upon I don't want to offend people, I want to love people and all these things we've heard and I'm going to approach every relationship with does it profit them or edify them? If I do that, then everybody else is going to have control over my life. Because, if, listen, everything offends somebody. Don't we know that? And you, you don't know that? Come follow on Twitter some of the spiritual leaders that I follow on Twitter. I'm like, you're gonna be kidding me. 
You're upset about that? Grow up. That's my mind. That's what I want to do. I want to type that word, grow up, and put it in all caps. And like my mom, put exclamation point 50 million times. You know, because then they know you're angry. No, we need to understand that this is not a teaching that gives some uptight pharisaical believer who has all kinds of weird preferences and beliefs. This is not a teaching that gives them authority in my life. No, we are under grace. And I'm gonna say it this way. There are things that God will allow your conscience to do that he won't allow mine to do. And there are things that God will allow my conscience to do that he won't allow yours to do. You say, pastor, like what? Uh, coffee. And no, 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 listen. There are some Christians that I know that are well-meaning Christians and they're sincere, but at one point they had drug addictions. And they say, man, I can't drink coffee like that. Why? Because it, it becomes an addiction. But here, pastor, here's your cup of coffee. Because it's not offensive to them. Does that make sense? So this passage is not about you living life under the microscope of everybody else. No, 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 no. It's about you knowing that there are sincere believers who struggle with things all the time. And I need to know about that. And so this believer that struggles with eating meat offered to idols, I need to know about it. Uh, Many of you know Pastor Kurt Skelly. Him and I, he's preaching through 1 Corinthians right now too. We compare notes and talk about it. And uh, he said, he said about the, the phrase, oh, I think, uh, anyway, when you go to that house and your buddy, you know, he's like, hey, I, we can't eat this. It was offered to idols. He said, as soon as my buddy gets up and goes to the restroom, I'm getting a doggy bag. <laughs> hey, he can't eat that meat, but could you bring some to me? What's the, what's the mindset of, hey, while I'm around him, I'm gonna make decisions that don't offend him. Make sense? But here's where it all ties together. And this is the last thought when Paul says this. But whatever you do, whether you eat or don't eat, whether you drink something at someone's house or don't drink something at someone's house, whatever you do, whatever you do, make your decisions based upon the filter of, does this glorify God? Can I glorify God in this? Think about it this way. Will this draw attention to the Lord. Now, what a great principle to filter our decisions through. Can I glorify God doing this? Can I ask God's blessing while I'm doing this? If Jesus was here right now with me, would he be doing this? Will God be glorified in the minds of others through this? Will this help people understand God better? Will this point to God? I've said this before and I'll say it again this morning. Much to my dislike of the truth of this statement, I hate making choices. I hate it. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. I, I'm not good at making choices. Not that I just make bad choices and, you know, like sinful choices. No, 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 no. Like, hey, what do you want to eat for lunch? I don't know. What do you feel like? Mm, Mexican teriyaki, burgers, salad. I really don't care. I just, you know, just kind of go with with whatever. My kids all the time, they're like, yeah, we got to ask a question. Don't ask dad. It's going to take him a while to choose. 
man, I don't like making decisions. You know what? Every one of us, we have to make decisions. And this week, we're gonna make decisions on how we use our time. You're gonna make decisions on the conversations you have with people. We're gonna make decisions on uh, maybe if we, if we go to work a certain day or don't go to work a certain day. We're gonna make decisions on the type of spirit that we have at work. We're gonna make decisions with our neighbors. We're, gonna, we're just gonna make a lot of decisions this week. You want some filters to go through? Here's three that we looked at today. Make decisions this week that best identify you with Jesus. Make decisions this week that profit and edify others. And make decisions this week that glorify God. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.